In today's podcast, I speak with Jonathan Karen. Jonathan is the VP of Digital Marketing at the American Cancer Society, a fellow graduate of Leadership Atlanta, and one of the most generous people I know. During our conversation, we talk about his pull to work in the nonprofit space, what it means to be a leader with heart, and he convinces me that there's a reason to be hopeful about the world today. <laughs> Let's get into it. I am super excited today to be chatting with my good friend, Jonathan Karen. Jonathan, tell everybody who you are and what you do. All right. Uh, well, my name is Jonathan Karen. I am a New Yorker by birth, Atlantan by choice. I've lived here for about 30 years. I'm a husband, a son, a brother, a friend, and uh, try and do some good work uh, while I'm spending time on the planet. Um, my day job, I'm the VP of Digital Marketing for American Cancer Society. Um, and so I lead our oversee the digital consumer journey from start to finish from how do we engage both people who are on a cancer journey or looking for cancer resources to those who want to volunteer or donate to us. So through our um, email, our paid media platforms, whether it's display or search or even broadcast, um, social media, and then when we bring them into the, the ACS family through our web and mobile products. Um, and then how do we continue to engage them and try and, and, and make sure that they get the services they need or want to contribute to help us fund our mission? That's what I do uh, in my day job. That's a, that's a big, meaty job. Um, and, and getting a chance to work with you, I can, I can tell like the scope of everything that you guys are doing, um, it's massive. And what I really like about working with nonprofits um, is that it's it's very much, and I know you and I have talked about this, it's very much similar to entrepreneurship because when you're an entrepreneur, everything matters. There's really no ability for fluff. You have to make sure what you're doing is making an impact. And in your example, you're trying literally trying to save lives. So you have to be very optimized with that. Is that how you feel as you go through your day-to-day? I do. I feel a tremendous responsibility um, and know that the work that I'm doing really makes a difference in people's lives. One in three people are going to be affected by cancer in their lifetimes. And um, and so I feel we're doing everything that we can to lower the cancer mortality rates. We've been successful in doing that over the years through funding research, through prevention, through education. Um, so uh, I feel very confident that this organization has been a leading force in um, in really in the fight against cancer. Um, but I, but there are still too many people who die. I know you've been affected by it personally. I've been affected by it. And everyone has. Again, one in three people will be affected. Um, it's one of the largest killers in the world. And um, so I feel when I come to work every day that um, I have a, a responsibility to serve those who have been on a cancer journey um, and try and prevent others from, from dealing with cancer in their lifetimes. So you, you've always been... Um... A, a marketer, right? Since graduating, I mean, you've basically been in marketing. It's only been the last what five or six years that you've been actually working at a nonprofit. Is that right? Yeah, I started the fir- my first job actually out of college. I worked for New York Magazine selling advertising when Rupert Murdoch owned it. I can't believe that you know, looking in hindsight, that I worked for Rupert Murdoch for my first job. But I then went to the ad agency side of the business and spent the first part of my career in account service, field marketing, media. Um, really, a, a array of different um, roles within the ad ad agency world, um, and worked on clients like Miller Brewing Company, um, Wendy's, Hyundai, M M&M and M Mars, Taco Bell, um, and then made the shift. I got my MBA at, right down the street at Georgia State, where I actually teach also part time, 
and um, and then went to the client side. I worked for Turner Broadcasting for a while. Worked for a company called Hershen Family Entertainment, which most people haven't heard of, but they've heard of Dollywood or the Harlem Globetrotters. Really fun industry. Went from television to um, to the entertainment and themed entertainment business. Um, but really felt this pull to want to work in the nonprofit space. Had been doing. I know you're super involved. You founded your own nonprofits. You're involved in so many things. I just felt this this after volunteering for a while and having it as a side job that it was, I felt this pull to want to use my skills to make a difference. So I went to work for Boys and Girls Clubs of America, which is headquartered here in Atlanta. Uh, and now I'm at American Cancer Society. Where did that, um, where do you think that pull to want to dedicate your life if, essentially to helping others? Where do you think that came from? You, you were born in New York, so that could be a tough place. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, I grew up in North Jersey, so maybe uh, right outside the city. But it's interesting. My sister is also very involved in, in mostly animal rights causes. And we're both, veg- she's vegan, I'm vegetarian. Um, but our parents were never very philanthropic. Um, and they're good people, but they weren't people who got involved in community service. Maybe they wrote a check or two. And even at a young age, I remember marching in, in you know, protest rallies for a variety of causes. Um, and it just seemed to be in, in my DNA. And, Wait, um, pause there for a second. You marched in causes what age and, and how did you first get into that? In high school, in college, I went to people for the ethical treatment of animals rallies and to wow. um, human rights rallies for uh, you, you kind of pick pick a topic. I've, I've been out marching for years. I was marching for the you know Black Lives Matters protests a few weeks ago, mask on. Um, but it's just, I don't know, it's in my, it's in my DNA. And uh, so in college, I was involved in some civic organizations. And um, when I first moved to Atlanta, I started working for um, Project Open Hand and doing volunteer work. I was facilitating discussion groups for LGBTQ youth who were just coming out and on their journey um, and just got involved in various nonprofits, got in very involved in an organization called Chris 180, used to be called Chris Kids and served on their board for about seven years and um, was actually working with them when I was at Turner broadcasting and as one of our beneficiaries and just really started to dig in and got involved with their marketing committee, then their board. And that really was a springboard for me. And I think, you know, Kathy Colbinson, who's the CEO, who's just this wonderful woman and a force of nature. And that organization does so much to help um, disadvantaged youth who suffer abuse and neglect and provide them with counseling and housing and other services. And they've expanded to support a lot of adults as well. But I think getting involved really deeply with that organization was like, this is this is where I want to spend my time. Mm. And then when the time came, I guess the boys and girls job came up. That was the first time you felt like there was a nonprofit that you could actually go and, and work full time for. Yeah, it's funny. Actually, I had reached out to them and the American Cancer Society before I actually went to work for Hershen Family Entertainment. And so I was having conversations about going into nonprofit. And then that job came open and I was like, okay. Um, this seems like um, it seems like a really fun job. The commute was not so great because I had to go up to Norcross, but uh, the job was great. The people were great. I spent about five years there um, and learned some some new skills. Um, but all the time, I was still involved in other nonprofits. I was a big brother for several years while I was there as well, and I just felt like this is this is where my heart and head is. And and when the chance came to go to work for Boys and Girls Clubs, I did. And um, and. And that's that was on my journey. And uh, however many more years I'm going to be working, I plan on focusing in the nonprofit space and also will probably teach part time, which 
with the salary you make as an adjunct professor at a university, it feels like nonprofit work. Um, <laughs> so um, that's that's my path, I think. And then when I retire, I want to just travel around and watch football games and go to national parks and um, and uh, and then do some volunteer work on the side. We can't uh, we can't uh, skip over the uh, Atlanta Falcons obsession that that you have. Um, you've been to what X number of games, home game. You've never missed. What what's your streak? Uh, well, I've missed five home games in 29 years, and <laughs> I've seen them. Play, and I can tell you the reasons for each one, but nobody cares. I've seen them play in every city in the NFL, um, and I've been to Toronto and London, and was hoping to go to London to see them play again this year, but that obviously got shelved. But yeah, it's an unhealthy obsession of mine and uh, a lot of heartache and, and some fun. But uh, even as a little kid growing up in New Jersey, they were my team and they still are. Wow. Okay. So they were your team before you even came to Atlanta. Yeah. I used okay. to get the AJC mailed to me like three days later in a um, like in this big package and I would just read the sports sections. And this was before the internet. That's incredible. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. All right. So let me ask you this. So um, what would it take for a four or would it even be possible? Would it, for a for-profit to entice you to go work for them? Um, I, well, I, it's really not my path right now, but I would say if I felt like it was in the corporate social responsibility side of things where I felt like corporations have a tremendous responsibility to do good. And I think they're under a lot of pressure from consumers to do good. And, you know, the corporate, uh, Roundtable. I forget Jeff Bezos and others who were on it changed their charter last year to say that that not only do they have to deliver shareholder value, but they have to do good for society. Mm-hmm. Not be phrasing it exactly right. So I appreciate that, and I think part of that is pressure from consumers, especially younger consumers, of uh, holding companies accountable for being good corporate citizens. But I can tell you, you, being a college professor, I would ask my students about how important is it to to for companies to be corporately social responsible and they would say oh it's very important it's really important to me i would kind of go on to other parts of the lesson plan and then later i would say who are some of your favorite brands and they would say apple they would say you know they'd name nike whoever and and maybe nike's not a perfect example now as they got behind colin kaepernick's campaign but i would say well tell me what these companies are doing to be corporately social corporate social responsibly being to be corporately social responsible and most of them couldn't name anything and um, so maybe that's just a feeling that they have, but sometimes they, you know, we say what we want to believe, but our actions sometimes aren't exactly the same. And Amazon delivers a great um, online experience and it's so easy. They made it so easy for people to transact. I don't think they're an organization that people consider to be very responsible socially. They're certainly shifting and Jeff Bezos is using his personal wealth as well as some of his, you know, corporate wealth to support climate change, et cetera. But, um, but people shop because they have a great experience there, not because they're being good corporate citizen. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. I've, um, I've come to the conclusion, like, you know, we run dragon army as a, uh, purpose-driven company, a company that believes that business, especially for-profit business should be a force for good in the world. Um, that message and, and that focus of our purpose, um, it doesn't really help us get new clients, but I think it helps us keep clients um, because we we you know we we work with them openly with authentic authenticity with heart, and then because that they want to continue. But you sort of have to have a great product before that happens, and so I I bet it's the same as you talked about Apple and 
uh, Amazon and all these services that, you know, you can't just be a purpose-driven company. You can't just be a company that's good for the world and expect people to buy from you. But I bet the retention stays with you longer. Uh, my, my favorite example is Ben and Jerry's. Like Ben and Jerry's was my favorite ice cream before I started to realize how incredible they are around things like racial equality and social justice. And now let me forget about it. I'll never, I'll never go away from them. So I think it has to be that it has to, there first has to be this great service or great product, but then you'll stay longer. Does that? Yeah, I think it can be a tiebreaker. Um, and I applaud Unilever for even after them buying Ben and Jerry's, they really left it alone. I don't know if you, you probably listened to the How I Built This podcast oh, with yeah. Ben and Jerry. I mean, it's my, one of my, aside from your podcast, it's one of my favorites. Um, but um, it's just great, the story of how they, those founders um, founded the company, the challenges they went through, but how they really kept social responsibility at the, at the core of everything that they did. Yeah, exactly. That That's, again, equally as impressive that Unilever allowed them to to remain that type of company. But to go back um, to your original question, so I'm not looking for a job. I really do love working at American Cancer Society. But um, it, the corporate side, I do think corporate can really influence society with the money that they give if they're doing cause mm-hmm. marketing campaigns. Um, and people are always constantly looking to them for um, for support. So I think companies who back that up and, and fund really important initiatives in their communities or nation- nationally um, that would be an area I'd, I'd consider. But uh, if anyone from American Cancer Society is listening, I'm not. I'm not looking. I'm very happy with what I'm doing right now. Yeah, I should have prefaced that because uh, knowing you, I know you're super happy there. Um, but I wanted to. I wanted to pose a just a question to see how you would react to. You know, I, I feel like your nonprofit and and sort of community efforts from now on. Like I've seen that shift, and you've said that to me, but. Just curious, what what would entice you from a for profit perspective? I, I would be remiss not to say that, you know, Dragon Army is going through the process of changing to a B corporation, which is a new type of you know for profit company, which does what you said earlier. Instead of saying, you know, a, a classic company um, that's like a C corp would say, everything we do is for shareholder value, and if it's not increasing shareholder value, we shouldn't do it. A B corp says, no, in fact, there's different stakeholders. The shareholders are one, but your community is another, your team is another, your partners are another. And so it allows the ability to say, yes, we're trying to drive a profit, but we also, we're here for other reasons than just profit margin and just, you know, top line revenue growth. And you said earlier, you were talking about attracting clients uh, and maybe it doesn't win you new clients, but maybe it keeps them or maybe it's the Mm tiebreaker sometimes. But I also would argue for employee retention um, that, that that's, that would attract good talent to the organization that it, that does have a heart for, for doing good. Yeah. Agreed. So one of the things that I love that we have in common is that we, we both went through leadership Atlanta. Um, and as you know, my experience in 2013 changed my life and, and put me on a different path. Um, you were already on a path of doing good and, and supporting heck from, from being in high school and marching. Um, what impact did leadership Atlanta have on you? Um, first of all, I still remember when I got into leadership Atlanta and you sent me a bottle of wine or something, it was very champagne, I'm not much of a drinker, but it was a very nice gesture. So thank you. And I, I think, you know, you knew what impact it had on you and it had a similar impact on me. I'd, I'd like to think that I was pretty woke before going through the program, but I really opened my eyes to a new way of thinking and seeing things through other people's eyes. 
Um, as a marketer, I think it's always important to think about the consumer and who you're trying to target. So at American Cancer Society, if I keep a 53-year-old woman with middle income, maybe affected by cancer in some way in my mind. But as I went through that journey, I heard from my classmates, especially those who were black and brown, um, and kind of their their experiences growing up um, from a from kind of racial um, inequality perspective and the, the barriers they have to face every day that I took for granted and my white privilege um, in not thinking about. Um, as I think back on the things that I learned, not only the relationships that I formed that are still very close people in my life, um, across all spectrum of nonprofit, government, um, small business, big corporations, et cetera. Like it was a great swath of people across a whole bunch of businesses, but, um, it just, it really opened my eyes to a new way of thinking. And again, I feel like I have all this knowledge. I have understanding about, um, the education system. I don't have kids of my own, so it wasn't something I saw every day, but income inequality, um, the criminal, um, the prison industrial complex, um, and how racial inequality has played out in, in many other ways. And if you don't get to go through Leadership Atlanta, just watch the 13th, uh, mm-hmm. David DuVarnay's um, documentary on Netflix to learn more about that or pick up a variety of books that are on the bestseller list right now. Um, your eyes get really open to a different perspective. So I think it's it's helped me see things through a different lens. And I feel like I have more of a responsibility to 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 make a difference um, based on that knowledge. Yeah, I love it. What about you? Know, Well, what's interesting for me is I came out of that experience um, wishing that everybody, especially, you know, white men like myself could go through it. Um, Because I think that up until that moment, I was, you know, um, unaware, and that's on me, uh, of, of the privilege that I have. And I'm still probably wildly unaware of the many ways in which I benefit from you know, who I am for, for no good reason other than the color, color of my skin or, you know, my gender or something. But, um, I came out of it like, Oh, I wish everybody I know could go through this. What's interesting about this COVID quarantine experience for me has been seeing, um, so many of my, uh, specifically white friends, um, starting to have their eyes opened as well. And so, you know, nobody would ever wish to have what's happening in 2020 happen. And, and certainly, you know, I wish that it would end. Um, but I do think there's a positive there in that there's so many more people that are marching and so many more people that are sitting with this because you can't go right back to your regular life and get your latte and go to your meeting. You're, you're sitting at home watching these videos, seeing the heartbreak and the anguish. And so I do think there's an, an eye-opening experience that's happening now that, um, will will force more change. Well, I do worry a little. I mean, a month ago, it was really people were out on the streets and they are still in Portland and a few other places in smaller pockets, but we were in COVID and then we were in Black Lives Matter and social justice, and now we're kind of back to COVID. Um, and so I, I hope it's not off of people's radar or the front page. Um, it's just, you know, there's a cri- multiple crises every day or something that's taking the headlines. We won't get into too much politics right now, but it can't go back on page two. This has to stay front and center. And I hope with the election um, and, you know, people, the, the, we can complain about all the problems, but people need to go to the ballot box and whether it's mail-in or in person or however they're voting, they need to vote in November um, and learn about not just national candidates, but local candidates um, and those who, who will better represent or who will represent their values. 
Agreed. Yep. Agreed. Um, all right. So let's spend the last couple minutes we have on, um, I guess maybe I'll say a deeper topic if that's possible. Um, but I, I find myself, um, I find myself becoming dispirited, uh, is maybe the best word. When I think about what I see as, as an incredible lack of empathy worldwide, certainly in our country. Um, and I just, it, it bums me out, Jonathan. <laughs> it just bums me out that like, how can you not see that other people are in pain and how can your mind not say, well, why not? Well, it doesn't affect me. So I don't care or they're being selfish, but like people are in pain. You know, this idea that, that a group of people felt the need to say that their lives matter, right? They, they felt like they had to say that. Um, so you have like, help me, help me feel better about humanity right now. Well, there are a lot of good people like you and many of your colleagues. I know you're very, you know, close to people who are doing running nonprofits or at least in the corporate world who are trying to make a difference. Um, it's, it's daunting right now and the news can be depressing and I'm a news junkie. I read multiple newspapers a day. I listen to podcasts and, and sometimes I need a little bit of a break from it, but all I can say is everyone has their own responsibility and, and whether it's in social justice or something else, I, I just, my plea to whoever's listening is to pick something that matters to you and go, go do something about it. Volunteer your time, write a check or if anyone's physically writing a check anymore, but um, just do, invest a little bit of your time to get out of your own bubble. And I don't have kids. I maybe have a little bit more bandwidth than other people that, you know, you've got four or five kids, how many, five kids, <laughs> five. Four, five kids. Um, so I, but you're amazing how you can able you can kind of compartmentalize is not the right word, but you find the time to do things to make a difference. Um, I would just say everyone just carve out a couple of hours a week, make some phone calls to get to voter registration, go work at a food bank or a shelter or to, to volunteer at a school, do something to try and give back. If you, if you have the, the, the bandwidth or the means to do it. And I think every little, you can't boil the ocean, but everyone, if every person, lights a flame, then, then maybe you can, you can, we can get there. Uh, and not everyone's going to agree with, with your political views. This is a hyper political world we live in right now. Um, and if you have a, if you believe in the Democrats or the Republicans, you're not allowed to have a difference of opinion. It, it's so polarizing and I, I don't know how to solve for that. Um, but I just say, make, try and just make a little difference in your community. And if everybody does that, then hopefully this world gets to be a little better place. I love that because that, that sentiment is, is, uh, something that, you know, one of my heroes, Bobby Kennedy said, and he talked about ripples of hope, which is why I created a nonprofit called ripples of hope. But it's the idea that like a little bit of help, um, a little bit of effort, if everybody were to do that, it would make a tremendous impact. Um, and it's interesting. You, you did, you did perk me up a little bit. Cause I remember that, um, when I first started 48 and 48, uh, it was the the impact that it actually made on the volunteers, more so than the nonprofits that got the free website, that I saw a change in people and 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 friendships, you know, formed and formed over doing good, which I think is really powerful. Um, and so, the idea of giving some time and finding some time, um, I think that creates inside of you uh, more joy than you get from you know, potentially even watching a Falcons game, I'll just say. <laughs> Different kind of joy, but I agree. 
but for 48 and 48. So I'm on the board of a nonprofit called Action Cycling Atlanta, which we do two key events. One is a two-day, 200-mile bike ride. Um, and we had to cancel it this year, but we raise money for AIDS vaccine research uh, at Emory University and then to support local aid service organizations. And then we do another event called Field Day, which is like adult Olympics, tug, tugs of war, three-legged races and goofy stuff like that. Uh, for people who don't like to spend 20 hours on a bike over a weekend. Um, but 48 and 48 rebuilt our website for us a couple of years ago, um, actually redid a logo for us as well. And um, we saw some real positive results as a, as a through, through that organization support. So we appreciate it. And I know you've, I've sent it to, I know you're looking for nonprofits now to participate and I'm sending um, that, that appeal out to several smaller nonprofits that I know who could really benefit from, from that expertise. So I think that's a, that's a great organization um, that's, that's making a difference and you're leveraging your, your talent and skills and those, you know, to, to make a difference. Yeah. I appreciate that. You did have a particularly great team. I remember the, those guys uh, on the second floor. Um, okay. So uh, I'm going to ask you one question at the end here, but um, I just want to say, I, I really appreciate our friendship um, and you have challenged me over the years, um, whether you realize it or not. Um, you, you, our conversations, I would come out of them thinking about things differently. And um, again, someone like you who works at a nonprofit with, you know, that's your, that's your income always inspires me because you're, you're basically saying, you know, pretty much all my life I'm focused on helping others. So I hope that you, you know, you're, you're as humble as anybody I know, but I hope that you feel like you are making a big difference because most people don't do that. I don't even do that. Right. And, and so I think that that's, that's huge. So I appreciate, um, our friendship and everything that, uh, you've helped me learn over the years. As do I, and you, you're very inspiring and you're being, you, maybe you're being humble as well. You, your your personal brand i mean you reach out to people and say hey will you help me with this and you can get a lot of people to help because they know you and your heart and uh and that says a lot and you you're you run a for-profit company but one that has that uh, is really trying to make a difference you've actually done work for american cancer society on our mobile and chat products and have really helped us communicate the american cancer society message to people in a in a meaningful way and i think you've helped us um on our to, to educate people about our mission and help us raise some some money and we're on you know every nonprofit especially those that are not in the social justice or in the COVID world are feeling a, a tremendous impact right now we are as well and we're on the quest to try and get resources to raise money to support the the research the the access to to services that people on a cancer journey need so if anyone's listening and wants to go to cancer.org we would be happy to um, except a, a small donation to help us uh, continue the fight against cancer. Well, that's perfect because that's exactly what I was going to ask. If you had, you know, one thing to say to anyone listening, what would you tell them? And I guess it would be go to cancer.org. Uh, that would be one thing I would say, go back to what I said earlier, carve a few hours of your day out or your your week out and just make a difference. Pick an organ. If you've been affected by a disease, if you, if it's social injustice, if it's, environment, if whatever it is that's important to you, whether it's a religious thing, um, pick something that makes a difference and stop being and try and be a little less selfish and maybe be selfish, selfless for a couple hours a week um, to just try and make the world a better place. And like you said, the ripples, everyone can throw a, a pebble in a pond and it won't, it'll just make a ripple. But if a lot of people throw it in, it could make a wave. And uh, that's what we need to, we need a, a blue wave. But that's another, yeah. that's for another day. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> you can edit right. that out. There you go. No, I love it. All right. Th thanks for doing this, Jonathan. I super appreciate it.
my pleasure. And I hope I get to see you in person one of these days. Yeah, hopefully so. All right. Talk to you soon. Take care, Jeff. Wow, you made it to the end of the podcast. I didn't really know people did that anymore. Since you're still here, I'd love for you to subscribe so you can get updated when I post my next podcast. And you can always check out everything I'm up to at my blog, jeffhillemeyer.com. Thanks for listening.